Welcome to Activating the Creative in You, where we gather with everyday people who are making a difference. What's God's heart in the midst of everything that's going on around us? Three weeks ago, we were facing a pretty volatile uh, situation in the country, and it all started with an awful situation that we all saw on television. It was videoed, it was caught on camera, and it brought to the attention uh, controversial, but something that cannot be ignored. And it made everybody go out and scream for... For justice. For justice, yes. Yes, so we're, we're talking about, of course, the situation with um, uh, the injustice that occurred to uh, George Floyd. And, of course, this brought... Uh, a lot of turmoil in amongst not only amongst the African American community, but it just pointed out some some uh, systemic uh, issues in society that we couldn't ignore any longer. And I think that was what the outcry was was really about. If you think about it, this issue has been a buildup of what's been going on for many years, many years of frustration. I think that that's just kind of built up, and this particular incident was the straw that broke the camel's back, as they say. Now, the biggest thing that we we face now is the question of what next, you know, because we saw that the protests were taking place, and we also saw a, a large group of people that represented the the church. That was right. out, that was out there, you know, protesting and bringing to attention the injustices that many have suffered in this country um, for years. And um, but the big question is what is what's next for us? Because it's three weeks later, and with that outcry, we're still left with a responsibility. Yes. Um... I'll tell you, you know, I, I just go back to, to, to what, how did that incident uh, make me feel at a personal level? And, and, and when I saw the, the entire situation, the, the, the outcry from the people, uh, people take it, you know, going to the streets, but then it kind of escalated to rioting and looting and, and, and it really hit close to home. I mean, we saw, uh, for example, the, the, the neighborhoods where I grew up as a young man uh, were devastated. They were just destroyed. And it really got me thinking. Uh, it just broke my heart to see that and to see how um, this just everything that happened and all the sentiment was so built up that uh, people were destroying the very places that they lived in. Yeah. And it's a, it was a sad situation, and it hurt because I've been on both sides. I've, I've lived in a depressed community. I, half my life I spent in a depressed community. And um, having lived that and having seen um, what it's like to be there, um, it really kind of just brought me um, home to, to, to my past and made me kind of think about, you know, what kind of difference are we making? And we're, we're part of the church. And as part of the church, we should be 
helping to make this place, the, the world a better place. And so it just brings that thought of, you know, as part of the church, what are we doing to promote justice and righteousness like the Bible teaches us? It's interesting that one of the images that struck out in the midst of that, and it was a photograph, was a couple that got married. It was yes. a bride dressed in white and, a, and, a, and, his, and the groom holding her, her arm up in the air as a sign of victory. And it almost looked like it was a picture that did not make sense with what was going on. There was a lot of anger in the background, a lot of outcries for uh, of the voice of those who had been marginalized and victimized. Because it's true. I mean, when you've been hurt, there will be anger. There'll be hurt. And especially if you're the, you represent a group of people that almost with life experience, you have to step back and almost acquiesce at a certain point because mm -hmm. you could continue to outcry and say, the, there's an, there is injustice, there is unfairness. But then at the same time, when those who are listening to the outcry are not wanting to acknowledge or be on board with the change that needs to happen, you, at a certain point, you almost learn to just kind of keep quiet and stop trying. Yet, in the middle of that chaos, it was like if God was allowing that particular moment where that bride and the groom stood, in the midst of everything that was taking us uh, place, like giving us a, a solution to the problem. Yeah. Because uh, we, the church, have the solution for what our hearts seek, which is justice, fairness, appreciation, validation, love, a purpose that gives us a sense of, of worth and value for who we are. I mean, we're, you know, God has given us life and we would hope that when we're here in this, in, on this planet, that our lives could be fruitful and that we could thrive, flourish, leave an impact that is not only about us giving fruit, but that what we do can build others up. But when you're representing a group of people that has constantly been on the other side of the fence where people have just kind of come against uh, you with injustice, it could shut you down. And it, it can also get you to a place where you might just hold the hurt and it will keep you from being courageous to take the next step and do something about it. But I think um, George had mentioned the word justice. And one of the things that we have to kind of explore is what does it mean to be a church that brings justice to this world? Could you give us a little bit more of a background <clears throat> on the meaning of the word justice in according to the biblical perspective? Well, I think getting back to, um, to everything that's been going on the last few weeks, I think um, I heard a young African-American girl uh, say something that really hit home. She said, we are not starting a new civil rights movement. This is a continuation of the civil rights movement. And it got me thinking because she was, that was hit, hit the nail right on the head. You know, if, if uh, things would have been solved in the 1960s, um, it wouldn't be a continuation. It would be something new. But the reason that it's a continuation is that it was never fixed in 1968. 
when uh, some of the laws were changed and there was some improvement, but it was very limited. And why was it limited? I mean, if the laws were being changed, shouldn't progress have continued to the point that we wouldn't have a problem 50 years later? That is a valid question because we see that there have been measures in our country's history where there have been individuals who have risked their lives to step to the front and say enough is enough and cry out for justice. Yet it seems that it's such a shame that here we are in 2020 and we are seeing this horrible uh, manifestation of, of injustice against people that it's almost, it's like, how could we be those people yet we say that we as a country have been trying to do something about it. So the next question is, is there hope? And biblically, what, uh, in regards to the biblical way of bringing justice, how would that look like? What is, what does the word justice mean? Okay, that, that's, that's a good question because I think it helps to frame what it is that, um, that we should, how we should be thinking about justice and also how should we be living justice. And I think that um, this goes all the way back. If you look at the Bible, from, you know, a lot of people these days, you know, uh, Christians in particular, we read the Bible, but we kind of focus on the New Testament. We don't read a lot of the Old Testament. It's like, yeah, that was before Jesus, so we don't have to worry so much about that, you know. And, um, but there's a lot that the Old Testament teaches us. And one of the key things is, and we'll see this all the way from the book of Genesis on through the rest of the Old Testament, is that it teaches us that God loves justice and righteousness. So um, when you initially read that, you think, well, God loves justice. So you think of a God who, who wants to be punishing people for doing wrong. Uh, so, so we think of retribution. Uh, so really, we have to understand that that's not what God was talking about when he says, I love justice and righteousness. He's talking about loving restorative justice. So there's two types of justice that's talked about in the Bible. 80 to 90% of the time when, when the Lord is talking about loving justice, he's talking about loving restorative justice. It's kind of like... In, 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 in Hebrew and in other languages, you might have one word, uh, you might have two words for the same concept of justice, yet in English, there's only one word. So it's the same thing. Like we say, yeah, I love French toast or I love pancakes. And then I can say with the same, in the same breath, I can say, yeah, I love my wife. It's a different kind of love. But at the same time, we're using the same word, love. And justice is the same way. There's more than one meaning to the word justice. In according to the biblical perspective. And according to the biblical perspective. And retributive justice is basically, let's punish people that are doing wrong. Okay, so it's kind of like uh, what we could say is in regards to law. Correct. So, so that's what happens with law enforcement. They punish wrongdoers. And some, I, I love this book that I read um, it was called um, How the Nations Rage. And the, the author, Jonathan Lehman, writes about, he's, he calls retributive justice. He says, it's kind of like this. If you know the story of Cain and Abel, 
So Cain kills his brother Abel. So he talks about retributive justice is punishing the Cains, punishing the people who do crime. Okay. But restorative justice is helping the people who are victimized. So it would be protecting the Abels. So um, when we look big picture of, 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 at what has been happening, we have a system out there in, in a, what we call the, the system that operates on earth, which is, is crying out for justice. And there's even something called social justice. Right, right. right. But it, it seems like the approach is more about retribution, right? Well, I think social justice tries to do both. Here's, here's the thing. Um, I think the problem with, with the term social justice is that it leaves it almost like it's the responsibility of the government and the secular world. It's almost as if, um, you know, the church can wash his hands of social justice. Um, and it leaves out one critical issue, okay. which is relationship. Okay. Whereas biblical justice that we're talking about, what God says about justice is in the scriptures, in the Bible, is that God is saying, it's important for you to change laws. It's important for you to, to establish a new way of doing things. However, it's also important for you to live in right relationship with your brothers and sisters, with your community, with the people around you. And that's the piece that gets pushed to the side in many social justice endeavors. So it's like, you know, we, we, we work hard to change the laws. Yeah, there's laws being changed. And a lot of people are singing victory and crying victory because the police are changing some of their laws on how they, you know, put chokeholds on people. That's all good stuff. But what about relationally? What about loving our neighbors? What about helping them so that we can get over the stereotypes that would get them to use excessive force to begin with? So we do have a system out there that, first of all, tries to do things like establish laws so there won't be unfair practices against individuals. We also have a system out that, that is out there which offers opportunity for you to help communities. For example, we have the nonprofit sector that in many cases provides uh, resources in underserved communities. We have orphanages, we have food pantries, yeah. we have, um, you know, uh, educational uh, supports. And in, in fact, we even have a situation where we have hospital systems and counseling centers, and we can go down the list right. that these are all systems out in the out there that are meant to help bring relief and support and and help to those who are underrepresented who have been victimized or however what i'm hearing is that not only are we supposed to as a church are we supposed to be the people who can provide uh the the supports and the things that are needed to help an underserved community, we also have one more responsibility that goes further, which is to build relationship. It's not just about throwing money at the problem or bringing you know, temporary relief for the physical. We right. also have to go deeper, which is the soul care. Right, and, and see, and I think that's the key um, right there. I think that where the church plays a, a deeper role in society 
is, um, and we see this in the Bible because a lot of times when God talks about justice in the Bible, he talks about justice and righteousness. So what are we talking about there? So he's talking about justice, which is, you can think of it like this, right actions. Mm -hmm. That's justice. But he also mentions righteousness in the same breath. He says justice and righteousness. I love justice and righteousness. And righteousness is about right relationships. Okay. Right relationship with him and right relationship with our brothers and sisters. So if we are to do justice the, the biblical way, then we are to um, love right actions and right relationships. So, and, and that's the piece I think that, that we have to, that we can help. When you're helping um, a vulnerable population or a vulnerable group of people, um, for example, uh, our group, you know, the Hispanic community, if we're going to truly make an impact in our community, we have to not only help uh, advocate for changes in in the laws to protect our people, but we also have to advocate for uh, um, and basically be part of that solution. We have a responsibility as the church to to be loving, to be kind, to be caring, and to be part of what's going on. We can't just leave it to a charity group or leave all that responsibility to the police. We have to be part of that solution. So. What I'm hearing is that the true power of bringing justice is when it all comes together, where those who were wounded heal, and then they become the healers. Right, right. Uh, I like that. I like that you bring that up um, because it just, I think that, you know, a key part of what we, um, what we're talking about is to help people be transformed. I mean, we um, earlier, uh, Nancy and I were talking about um, how, you know, we were talking about how the Bible uh, talks about justice and how it played out and how God chose Abraham all the way in the book of Genesis and told him, I want you to teach justice and righteousness to your children. And then later on in the Bible, we see in Exodus that a lot of the laws that were established through Moses were established so that there would be protection of the people who were more vulnerable, of the poor, of the widows, of the orphans. And um, God established a lot of laws that helped them, help the people live justice and righteousness. And that was unheard of at that time. And, then, and we see that throughout the Bible, God was very concerned that people were taking care of the people who were more vulnerable in society. That was part of God's heart. It always has been. Um, even if you go fast forward to now, in the 1700s, 1800s, the church was had a big role in establishing orphanages. The church helped establish hospitals. hospitals. The church helped establish counseling. The church helped establish schools. I mean, when you look at the role that the church had in establishing justice and righteousness in society, it was very, very prominent. Now, what has happened in the last hundred years is almost like we have stepped back and left it all to the government to do all of it. And unfortunately, we have kind of, oh, yeah, the government's doing it. They're throwing money at the problem. They're doing it. We don't have to worry about it. And I'm thinking, basically, that's wrong. The church still has a role because 
And we, we, we have to be loving so that we can not only help break systemic racism, but so that we can help people um, see Christ through our lives so they can be transformed as well. So in our reality, when we do gather as a fellowship, as a community of believers, the, the practical purpose for that will be to come in broken, to come in, you know, needing support and seeking, your soul is seeking relief from, you know, life has not gone on the way you thought it could and you're coming there for an answer. We come in and that's, we get to be part of a, a community that helps us get healed. That's right. But, the, but it's not so that we can stay within the walls of that wonderful utopia where everybody loves us and takes care of us and we have to at some point leave the nest and go out and be a change that's and right bring hope to those who have not yet received right right and, and i like that because it's like francis chan um said it best he says we are the church um he he basically uh, francis chan for those who don't know he left the big mega church he was a mega church pastor and started small groups and started a church network of just people meeting in their homes. And, and he said, we are the church. It's just a group of imperfect people who go out there and show the love of Christ to the neighborhood and to the people around them. And I think that that's really what we're talking about, because if we start showing the love of Christ through our lives to those people around us, it'll start getting attention. It's like in Micah 6, verse 8, where it says, you know, I have shown you what is right. And what do I require of you? And this is God talking. And he said that you do justice, that you love mercy, and that you walk humbly before your God. And, and I think that that, in a nutshell, sums up how we are to live as a people of faith. Mm -hmm. And so I guess, you know, there's our, our time is running low, and, and we did want to talk a little bit about... Um, so how do we stand, on, instead of standing on the side of retribution, how do we get towards uh, restoration? And, you know, one of the things is uh, we didn't mention is, is the idea of implicit bias. Sometimes we have a lot of stereotypes or prejudices that we don't even realize that we have. You know, and it could be simple things. I'll, I'll even mention a couple that are prominent in, in our community, the Latino community. Is, uh, uh, I'll mention one, which is Latino time. So we make an excuse for being late all the time, and it's not, uh, that's not necessarily right. Mm. Can you think of any, Nancy, that are uh, stereotypes? Well, uh, the other thing that we always, that I've heard is uh, many times mentioned is that we're, I'm Puerto Rican, so it's always thought, assumed that because I'm a Puerto Rican, I'm a great dancer, and I'm like the worst dancer on the planet. Exactly. You know, it's like, because as you hear Puerto Rican, and it's like, here comes the party. And, right, on, and right, the life of the party. Oh, the can, Puerto Ricans are you know, here, yay! They can, <laughs> I mean, we traveled across Europe, and every time we mentioned we were Puerto Rican, the first thing that came out of people's mouth was yeah. Ricky Martin and Jennifer Lopez, and then we're like, right. wow, of all the people that can represent us, those are the things that they're remembering, so... Right. Those are, and you're like, well, no, we're more than just uh, dancers and, and I guess performers and actresses, you know? So yeah, yeah. I, and it's, it, and it's kind of hard because when it comes to implicit bias, it's not just uh, others that have 
made that noticeable for me, but I too am also guilty of that too. And I have to catch myself because, you know, nobody's exempt. We all have something inside of us that um, yes. is not really correctly founded on fact, you know? All right. And, and I mean, there's, there's others too. And, and other nationalities, other ethnicities suffer this too. For example, people will say things like, oh, all Asians are good at math. Well, is that true? I mean, it, it, you know, the, we, we make all these assumptions or, I, you know, in the playground when I was a kid, it's like, yeah, you know, white men can't jump, you know, or, or, or even the stereotype for African-Americans that all of them are great athletes. I mean, there's things that we just in society, they're implicit biases. They're not all established on fact. And we kind of... Uh, live with some of these things and and it even happens even in the workforce you know there's there's statistics that show that um that people uh who have ethnic sounding names get less callback for jobs than people who have what we would consider white sounding names and i mean that's a implicit bias on the side of those recruiters that unfortunately there are studies that prove that this is true okay yeah so going back to the question is that uh, at the beginning what next the reality is that as long as we're here on this earth we will always have to deal with one level of injustice or another whether yeah. you be on one side of the fence or the other because in this case there was an outcry coming out from the the black and brown people yes. but i'm quite sure that on the other side of the fence the other group of people that are not on that on this side have also been gone through their own levels of injustice so but we as a church can't get bogged down with the sense of hopelessness we have to seek a way to bring a solution that may be countercultural but that will allow us to bring people to that place of restoration so um what are some simple practical steps that we can do to move in that direction i uh in regards to um being the hope in the midst of what we have seen yeah and, and i think that there's some things that we could do at a personal level and some things we can do at a bigger level for example at the level of the church and that's level of the community but at a personal level number one i think we have to recognize our own implicit biases we have to recognize some of those things that we're taking as truths, but there's no real facts behind them. We have to question our own thinking. So, you know, yeah. um, and I think that that's a big part. If we question our own thinking and then try to say, you know, that doesn't really make sense. How do we know that's true? And try to come up with more of a biblical so, answer. Yes. I think that helps us. So number one, be aware of your triggers. Yeah. Uh, um, be, uh, as you go in into that idea of, being the change that needs to happen, you know, in regards to what's hopeful, because it's not about just retribution, it's about restoring hearts. So even we as followers of Christ, we have to check our hearts and make sure yeah. that we don't enter with a heart that could be being influenced by the wrong messages. So we right. have to be pure in intentions, like Micah said, um, love justice, practice mercy, and well, be do humble. justice, yeah. love mercy, right. and walk humbly. So check be aware of your triggers that could make you uh go back to to 
the kind of thinking that's not aligned with Christ's life because we are to be renewed in our mind and then our hearts. So, Amen. And that so, stretches us. Yes. So be, uh, so be mindful and prayerful. You know, yes. think about, hey, you know, don't just go out and get swept with the, with the groups of people that are just doing this. But uh, in being part of it, but be, you know, const be aware that you have to be part of that, uh, what Christ would want. And then number two, become part of the ongoing solution to bring change. This is the action steps. This is you getting out of the walls of your comfort zone. Maybe you might partner up with a nonprofit that's outside the church <coughs> or some kind of uh, activity that's going to bring uh, that will be your collaboration and contributing, being generous. Right. You know? And we're not just talking because I think uh, sometimes we're like, yeah, well, I give money to my church and my church does social justice. Yeah. I don't worry about it. And we can't have that attitude anymore. We have to be part of the solution. Staying quiet. Uh, some people would say that being quiet is complicity in what's happening around us. Mm -hmm. So, so we have to speak up. We have to be part of the solution. And it doesn't mean that you have to be an activist. If that's not your personality, that's okay. But that's not an excuse for not doing something. Yeah. And, and that something might be, even if you have, for example, a homeless ministry in your church or a, or a food pantry ministry, helping people who need help is being part of the solution or uh, providing uh, financial support if you can't get out and do it it could be fi providing financial support yeah. but what i'm saying is don't just fall back on that as i don't have to do anything i gave right okay, that is so not um what god talks about biblical justice is for us to do justice that's what micah 6 8 says we should do justice. Okay. And the, the other thing is, I mean, is get out of your comfort zone. It could be a simple thing is start a conversation with somebody that's different than you, that comes from a different background. Try to find out their story. Try to find out what, what their experience is so that you can relate to them at a personal level. And that'll help you to be more understanding and more loving if you can see things from their perspective as well. Okay. Well, we don't want to be on this this platform too long because we know that this is a Saturday morning and you all have other things that you want to do. But I think in ending, the thing that we must remember is that there is hope in the midst of what may seem a chaotic a situation. The the hope is 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 us, the church. We have the answer, but we're what what is what we can do is just instead of just sitting back actually take active steps and ask God to lead us in the direction of not just looking at things through media and through what others are doing, but saying, you know what, I need to get out of my comfort zone and be part of the change that needs to act, be, needs to happen. Not only doing what is retributional, but also bringing the message of hope, which is the message of restoration so that not only do we have right relationships with, with each other, but that others can also have right relationship with God. Because at the end of, at the end of this, yes. what we want is to have an opportunity to share the good news of the gospel. Because when we go back to Jesus, when he first started his ministry, what book did he open? Did he open up to? He opened up the book of Isaiah. And what did he start reading about doing justice, about reaching people, about breaking uh, 
opening the eyes of the blind, of um, um, reaching people, bringing people out of their prisons. He was talking about giving them true freedom. So, yeah. So he talked about a kingdom that was not only to co coming to, to people were hoping for the kingdom of earth to change. He was talking about a kingdom that was going to bring change inwardly and give us a hope of, a, of something that was past this. Right. We're just passing through people. Remember, the church are a group of people who have been chosen to be a holy nation of priests who are here to minister into this broken world. And we're passing through. And what underneath it all, as we speak about justice, we've got to remember that it's a justice that goes beyond just here. That's right. And That's yet, right. Restorative justice. I think um, we have to remember that God loves justice and righteousness. So right actions and right relationships are important to God and as a church should be important to us as well.